It's good to see everybody. I know we uh, have some guests here, and so if I haven't met you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Uh, if you are a guest with us, we would love to connect with you, and the easiest way to do that, probably the best way to do that, um, is to actually text the word welcome. Maybe this is my goal, sabbatical goals, to memorize this number, 833-276-5450. The reason we ask you to text specifically the word welcome is that gives us the permission to respond to you via text message. Um, so you'll get some, some uh, things back from us. We just want to connect with you, find out how we could uh, answer questions that you might have, pray for you, things like that. Um, you can also use that number uh, to text us questions or prayer requests, or if you just want to... Um, reach out to a staff person, that, that is a great way to do that, is texting that number as well. Um, and so we are glad that you are here. We love it when new folks come uh, and worship with us. Like Cody said, uh, this is, because several people ask, like, I thought you were supposed to be gone. This is my last Sunday um, before sabbatical starts. So at 1130 this morning, when I finish speaking in the second service, I'm just going to take my microphone off, lay it down on the stage, and um, just walk out the door. I'm not actually going to do that. Um, but that would be fun, though. Um, I have also had this, several people ask this question, too. Are you coming back? And I, I kind of understand the nature of that question, too, in the world that we live in. There are things like forced sabbaticals and people saying to others, hey, you need to take a sabbatical until you never know what's going to happen. I think there's just some natural fear when you hear that. Um, that is not the case. I will be back Planning to be back August the 13th, and the reason I say planning to be back is I actually fly in um, kind of late Saturday night from Costa Rica, so as long as flights are on time and all of that, I will be here uh, to speak on August the 13th, um, but I just really appreciate the gift that the elders have given to me and my family to just um, take time off this summer, um, and so it wasn't the elders coming to me saying, hey, you need to take a sabbatical, it was actually me saying to the elders, hey, we've got a lot that's happening this summer, how do you guys feel about me taking this sabbatical? And so I appreciate their, um, again, their gift of a sabbatical and rest for us as, as full-time pastors. All of us have the opportunity to do that on a, I don't know, it's like a seven-year basis. I don't know, there's a policy. You could read the policy and stuff like that. But um, So yeah, I've got a lot happening this summer. Um, but I want you to know, you guys will be on my mind and heart uh, quite a bit this summer because I'm... While I'm, I will be away, I will be doing some work thinking about long-term planning and things like that. And one of the things that I want to do is to be praying for you. And so hopefully everyone on your way in this morning, you got one of these cards, um, which uh, just says submit your prayer requests on it. But this is for me. And so what I would love for you to do this morning, if you've got a pen, you can do it uh, you know, over the next few minutes in the message or if you want to do it after the service or whatever, um, just let me know ways that I can be praying for you. Uh, if you want to put your name on it, you can. That would be wonderful, and I, then I can pray for those needs by name. Um, but if you want to share something and keep it confidential, you don't have to put your name on there, but um, I will take those cards uh, when we finish this morning, um, and I will take them with me and be praying uh, for all of the needs on the cards over the next couple of months as I'm away. And so I would uh, considered a privilege um, to be praying for you in whatever is happening in your life. So uh, there is a table and a basket, like it, you'll run into it, you go out the doors, it's right there in the center. So after the service this morning, you can drop it into that basket or um, just you can hand it to me on the way out too, whatever. So got that. So let me pray for us and then we'll get into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, thanks for 
uh, the privilege of being able to gather together to praise you, to, to sing the songs that we have um, today. We, God, we recognize that you are uh, good and you're faithful to us in spite of the fact that we so often are unfaithful to you. You continue to pursue us with your grace and your love. Um, and, and God, we recognize that because of Jesus, you can radically change our lives and you call us into a new life with you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to understand what that means for us. Um, God, challenge our hearts today in terms of, of how we live in relation to other people around us. Um, and I, I pray that you would bless us uh, in this time with the presence of your Spirit, who is our teacher and guide, who guides us um, into all truth. And so I, I pray that the Spirit would be at work in our midst this morning. We ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. July, or Wednesday, July 22nd in the year 2020, a user went on to Reddit and posed this question. If you could live at any time in history, what would you choose and why? The original poster said that they would like to live in the Renaissance time period in Italy because of all the art that was coming out at the time. Another poster followed with that and said that they would like to go back to ancient Egypt to see how the pyramids were being built. Someone else said, I would go back to Georgian England, preferably to be married to a rich man so that I could go to all the glamorous balls. Another said, ancient Rome, which was followed by someone else saying, I couldn't agree more. And then someone else later said that they would like to go back to the height of Pax Romana under the stipulation that they were rich so that they could avoid all of the plagues. And the comments went on and on from there. Nearly 100 comments detailing the places that people wanted to live and the things that they wanted to see. But then there was one comment in those, that long list of comments that stuck out to me because it was so different than all the rest. Because one person said this, I want to live in the present because shoveling manure for a living isn't really my thing. I think it's funny how we idealize the past. If we could just go back and live at this period in history, it would be so wonderful. What I thought was really interesting is that many of those commenters, even though they posted something about living in a certain time, there was a caveat to it. Because there was like the stipulation, well, I want to make sure that I'm rich because there is an understanding of probably for the vast majority of people, maybe 99% of people that were alive in those periods of time that everybody said that they wanted to live, life wasn't so wonderful. But we have an, uh, this tendency to idealize the past. If we could just go back to the way that things were, but when it really comes down to it, yes, I mean, it might seem wonderful to go back and live in Italy during the Renaissance and see all the artwork. Or we idealize the balls of the kings and queens. Listen, when it comes down to it, there is really something wonderful about modern plumbing. I, I used to have this, I don't really know what you call it, like a, a statue trinket sort of thing sitting on my desk that somebody had given me a long time ago. And it said this, today is a gift from God. That's why they call it the present. And so today, what I want to do is talk about why I believe that there is no better time to be alive than the present. 
So this morning we're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn there to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen as I read it. Or you can navigate your way uh, to our live event and follow along there. Um, And there's lots of helpful resources, place to take notes, scriptures there are... Uh, digital bulletin, there's a link to that. So there's lots of, of helpful things in addition to, to questions for further um, just application, and many of our groups use those. Uh, but before I read the passage, I want to remind us where we've been over the last couple of weeks. Because this series is called Unimaginable. It actually comes from a verse at the end of chapter 3 where it says, Now to him who was able to do more than we could ask or imagine. And Ephesians chapters 2 and 3 are filled with unimaginable things that God is doing for us through Christ. At the beginning of chapter 2, we read, You were once dead, but are now made alive. And as Paul is writing, he's talking about our spiritual condition. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, but because of the work of Jesus for us, we can be made alive. Paul's talking about our spiritual condition, but there is a sense in which Paul's using that language very intentionally because it is unimaginable that dead things can be made alive. Like, that's impossible. And so Paul wants us to be thinking the same thing in a spiritual sense. How is it that dead people can be made alive? It is unimaginable and incredible. Last week, we talked about the second half of Ephesians chapter 2, where we saw how Paul's writing about Jews and Gentiles coming together in one new man. Now, if you were alive at the time of the first century, that is something that you would think was absolutely unimaginable. How is it that the chosen people of God, the Jewish people of God, can be brought together with the outsiders and both have equal access to God? Well, that comes as a result of the work of Jesus for us. And all of those things don't happen because we earn it or we deserve it, but it's given to us by God's grace. It's the goodness of God given to people who deserve the exact opposite. And so last week we talked about the challenge for us in the church today is to make sure that we don't create an insider versus outsider culture. Because the purpose of Paul's writing was to say that everyone, regardless of race, class, or gender, has equal access to God. And so I said at the end of the message last week, if you ever, and I want to repeat it again, listen, if you ever feel like an outsider in our church, come and talk to me because that means that we are not doing something right and we need to change it. Well, today as we continue, Paul is really following along the the line of thinking that he had finished in chapter 2, and that's what we're going to see as we begin chapter 3. So let me read this for us. For this reason... I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to to people in other generations as it is now revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the work of his power. 
This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be revealed, be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then, I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. If we could ask Paul the question that that Reddit poster posed, Paul, if you could live at any time in history, when would you choose to live and why? I believe that Paul would say there is no greater time to be alive than the present. Now, you probably want to know why. The reason I believe that Paul would say that there is no better time to be alive than the present is not because he was living the dream. It seems like a lot of people say that now. Uh, and when people say that, I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that. It seems to be a, a go-to phrase for people like, hey, how's it going? Is, the response is living the dream. And so I'm not really sure what people mean when they say that. I don't know if they mean that they are living the ideal life, which is technically what that means. I don't know if they're saying that facetiously because they're not living the ideal life, but they're just making it through, or if it's just simply a throwaway phrase. So I don't know what people mean when they say that, but I do know if we were to ask Paul about his life in the present, he would not say that he was living the dream. Because the circumstances of Paul's life weren't all that great. We get a, a, a glimpse for it in this passage. Well, this is actually something that shows up a lot in, in the church sometimes. It's this idea of if you are doing the right things then God will take care of you. If you're doing what God wants you to do, then God's going to bless your life, and then therefore your life is going to be easy. I think it shows up a lot, or, or people pick up on that a lot in church. And in fact, uh, over the last week, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, but on my Twitter feed, uh, I've seen a lot of people posting about shiny, happy people. I don't know if you've any, any of you have seen the new documentary that has come out. Uh, about the Duggars, kind of the behind-the-scenes story of the Duggar family from 19 kids and counting. Or it started with fewer kids than that, and over the years they had more kids, if you've ever seen that show on TLC over the years. And so it tells their story a little bit, but it's a lot more than just their story. And some of what I've seen is part of what is included in one of the episodes, and that is the teaching of this guy named Bill Gothard who created this umbrella of authority. And so there's this diagram with like literal umbrellas and kind of the idea is if you are under the right authority, there is this umbrella of protection on you so that bad things can't get to you and therefore your life is going to be easy. I disagree with that and the, a big part of the reason that I disagree with that idea that if you're doing everything right, therefore God's going to take care of you and your life is going to be easy is because of what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. That doesn't mean that God's not going to bless your life. He can do that if he chooses to, but it's not. If you do the right things, if you're doing what God wants you to do, then therefore your life is going to be easy because the Apostle Paul, I believe, was doing everything right. And there was nothing easy about his life. 
He was living the opposite of the dream. We only catch a glimpse of it here in this passage. But he says in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, on your behalf. Now, we've got to be careful when we read through that. You might be tempted to think that Paul is just speaking like metaphorically about the way that he viewed his role in relation to the church. Because Paul also said things like, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't literally a slave, but that was the way that he viewed himself in terms of his relationship with Jesus, that he was a slave to Jesus or a servant of Jesus. And so we'd be tempted to think here, well, Paul's just speaking metaphorically. He's a a prisoner, metaphorically speaking, on behalf of the, the church at Ephesus. And maybe there's a sense in which he is like a double meaning in what he's saying. And so maybe there is a a metaphorical use of that. But yet at the same time, we have to understand that when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus, he was writing from prison. And so all of a sudden, this idea that if you just do everything right, life is going to work out. We look at the life of the apostle Paul, and it sure doesn't seem to be that way. Now, likely, if you have not heard much about the apostle Paul, you probably recognize he is a a biblical character, a person who's prominent in uh, the history of Christianity. Maybe you've heard of Saint Paul before, and all of a sudden you think, well, that elevates him to a higher level than that, so he must be really influential. And he may be the most influential Christian who ever lived because he wrote over half of the New Testament. But much of Paul's adult life, the circumstances of his life was less than ideal. Paul was jailed multiple times, run out of towns, beaten, survived a shipwreck, and then was imprisoned in Rome, all because of his faith in Jesus. We actually read this at the end of the section too. Paul says, So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. And so the New believers here in this church in the city of Ephesus, they found out about the situation facing Paul, and they were concerned for him. They were concerned for his safety and his well-being, and then also at the same time wondering about their own safety and well-being, because if this can happen to Paul, what does this mean for us? And Paul says, don't be concerned, because everything that was happening in his life served for the purposes of God to further the gospel and grow the kingdom. See, I believe that if we were to ask Paul, if you could live at any time in history, when would you choose and why? He would say there is no better time to live than the present, but it was not because he was living the dream, not because the circumstances of his life were wonderful. The reason that Paul would say there is no better time to be alive than the present is because of the gospel. It's because of the good news about Jesus through his death and resurrection and the significance of all that he accomplished for all people. Primarily, that is the focus for what Paul is writing about in that section in verses 1 through 13. He talks about it as the mystery of God. Now, when he says mystery, he's not referring to something that's like spooky or mysterious. Um, He's not even using the word mystery in the sense of like something that's hard to understand, but he's using mystery in the sense of something that was always there, but it was hidden in the past and is now being made clear. 
See, Paul understood that at the, in the time of his life, he was living history. Like God was doing something that was always there, it was a part of his plan, but now Paul is living out this period in history where the plan of God is being revealed more clearly to all people. And that mystery, as Paul writes, is how Jews and Gentiles can come together as co-heirs as a result of Jesus. This is what we talked about last week. In the world that Paul lived in prior to Jesus, there was insiders and there were outsiders. And the insiders were the Jews, the chosen people of God. And somebody who was an outsider, they could become an insider by jumping through a bunch of hoops. But even after doing that and converting to Judaism and coming to be a part of the nation, I think that there was still a sense in which you felt like you could only go so far. You were still just a little bit on the outside. And Paul says those days are gone because of the work of Jesus. It's because of the work of Jesus that all people, regardless of race, class, or gender, have equal access to God. It's because of the work of Jesus that tore down the walls that divide us and allow us all to have a relationship with God where we can all become insiders. And so Paul is recognizing that he is living history as he is proclaiming to Gentile people, non-Jewish people, about the goodness and the grace of God that can change their lives. Now, I want you to think about this, though. Because that message, that all people have equal access to God, actually went against Paul's standing. It disadvantaged him. Because the old system was actually better for Paul. I mean, here he is, as we are reading his words, he seemed really excited about what God is doing. And I think he was, but yet at the same time, this message that he was presenting to people actually disadvantaged him. Because in a world of outsiders and insiders, Paul was an insider. He was Jewish and a man. Which meant, in an insider versus outsider world, Paul was an insider of the insiders. And in fact, in his previous iteration, as he was Saul before he became Paul, he was a defender of that old system. And then Jesus met him on the road to Emmaus and radically changed his life. And Paul became the ambassador for the message that outsiders are welcomed in. And that was what he gave his life to. The reason that I believe that Paul would say there's no better time to be alive than the present, it's because of the gospel. There's also something I think is really fascinating in this as well. Look at verse 10. He says, This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. There's something fascinating that's happening here, and Paul recognizes it, that he is living out history. Not only is it living history, as the, the message of the gospel becomes clear that it is for all people, but then Paul says there, he says, we are teaching the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Paul recognizes he is living history, teaching angels about the wisdom of God and about the grace of God. The rulers and authorities, that's what that is in reference to. It's to angels. And so Paul, is, 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 as he's writing, he's kind of saying, 
the circumstances of my life don't matter because I understand the period that we are living in. The gospel is now being presented out to the world. So there's no more insiders versus outsiders. Everybody has equal access to God. And you know what's even cooler about that is that we're actually teaching angels about God's wisdom and his grace and mercy as this movement of God sweeps across the world. So Paul understood that in spite of the circumstances of his life, he would say, there is no better time to be alive than the present. And I believe today that still holds true, that there is no better time to be alive for us than to live in the present. But that's not because everything is perfect. I think there's a lot that we could complain about. There's a lot that I could complain about. The things that are happening in our world today, you know, I, I could tell you how much I, I dislike social media. I have social media, I use social media, but it doesn't mean I like it. I don't like what it's doing to our young people. I don't like the fact that I feel like I get manipulated on a daily basis because I am the product that's being sold to companies. I don't like that. I could talk about how I don't like what is often referred to as the loss of the front porch, which is the idea of the, the fact that you know your neighbors and you see each other all the time, whereas today we have a tendency to hide behind our privacy fences and things like that. I wish we still lived in a world where we could say to our kids, go outside and play, just come home when the streetlights come on. But that's not the world we live in anymore. A big thing that has... Uh, come on the news in the last year or so on a regular basis is the talk about inflation. Yeah, I don't like inflation either. I remember going to a Coke machine and buying a Coke for 50 cents or less. And sometimes I wish we could go back there. But you know, when we have a tendency to think about all that's wrong in the world, and we can complain about all that's going on out there, what happens is we can grow nostalgic. But do you know what nostalgia is? It's truly nothing more than selective memory. Because the past is far better in our minds than it was in reality. But when we complain about the state of things in our world, and that's what we focus on, we can think to ourselves, if we could just go back to the way that it was, go back to the way that it used to be, and we get stuck thinking there, and we miss the beauty of and the opportunities that we have in the present. So I believe that today, there's no greater time for us to be alive than the present. But it's not because everything is wonderful. It's because of the gospel. I believe today that we have an opportunity to live out our faith in such a way that distinguishes us from the rest of culture. For years, I've had this thought rolling around in the back of my mind. How are we supposed to be different? As Christians, it's, it's really clear in Scripture that we are called to be different from the world around us. And those differences are supposed to be evident to other people. And so I've just been wrestling off and on over the years, like, what does that actually mean? Because most often in the past, it's, it's defaulted back to a moral standard. And I'm not saying that our moral standard shouldn't be different. I think it should. We should have a different moral standard than people who aren't followers of Jesus. But yet at the same time, those behaviors are often hidden. They're not evident to all people. 
But today, because of the state of our world, I believe that we have the opportunity to live out our faith in such a way that causes us to be different. For over 20 years in my professional ministry, I've gone to conferences where people talk about, man, if we could just get back to the way that the church was in the book of Acts, that's what we really need to do. Oftentimes what they're talking about is just the the community uh, nature of the church. But I think today we have the opportunity to live our faith out in a way that is clearly tied to what we see in the early church more so than we have ever at least in a very, very long time. Because the world that we live in today is a polarized world where people gather together in their little huddles and they talk about how bad the other people are in the other huddle. Lobbing grenades at people on the other side, decrying what's wrong with them and how they could do such things. And now all of a sudden, as followers of Jesus today, we can apply a lot of these principles that we read about in the New Testament in a real way, where we seek to live at peace with all people, where we let our conversations be full of grace, that if we suffer, we suffer because we're doing good. Today, I think we have the opportunity to live out the truth of the story of the Good Samaritan better than we ever have before. Because the story of the Good Samaritan, yes, it's about loving your neighbor, but that neighbor is someone that you disagree with, someone that's very different than you, that sees the world very differently than you do. And all of a sudden now, I think we have the opportunity to live out that story the way that Jesus taught it. And I don't necessarily know what this means for us, each of us individually, specifically in terms of how we live, but I pray that God would give us wisdom to do that. But I know that it's got to show up in terms of how we speak about people and how we treat people. And in a world where in the church, oftentimes we get the idea that we need to retreat from public spaces, I think God is now calling us to enter into those spaces and live like Jesus in the world, hoping that we can live out the values that we read in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, people would see your good deeds and come to glorify your Father in heaven. In a me-first world, We have the opportunity to live out the values that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, turn the other cheek. When someone asks for your shirt, you give them your cloak. When someone demands that you walk a mile, you say, I'll go too. And all of a sudden, I think when we embrace those truths, and again, the specifics of that, may God give us wisdom to know how to do it, but I think people will look at us and say, why are you different? And we have the opportunity to say, it's because of Jesus. It's the truth of the gospel. It's for all people. I believe that there's no better time to be alive than the present because of the gospel and because we have the opportunity to reach people from all over the world without ever leaving home. I'm going to tell you how old I am. I can remember when we got our first home computer. I was in about the fifth grade. It actually attached to a TV. And that was the monitor. And the only thing that we could do with that computer, because it was like, I think it was like secondhand from our school or something, is that I could take this floppy disk, and I don't mean like three and a half floppy disk, like we always used to say it's a floppy disk, but the actual floppy disk, put that into the machine and I could do some math problems. That was it. 
And so for me, growing up in church, to be a missionary meant this. Missionary meaning somebody who reaches people from all over the world. To be a missionary when I was a kid growing up meant that you had to leave all of your friends and family members behind, go live in a foreign country, and you would see them rarely, if ever, for the rest of your life. But we recognize growing up in church that we were supposed to be a part of reaching the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we would, I remember thinking this and talking with my friends about this in church. Like, man, we, like, we want to do what God wants us to do, but I hope he never calls us to do that because that sounds terrible. But some people did. But today we can be missionaries and be a part of God's plan to reach people across the globe without ever leaving home. Part of that's the internet. The world is smaller than it's ever been, and so now there are ministries who are actively reaching people in the uttermost parts of the earth from here. And so you can be a part of that. Part of that, too, is the, the realization that uh, travel is easier and more accessible than it's ever been before. And so our missionary, Craig Alsop from Mana Worldwide, is a, a partner ministry that, that's how we support reaching people, the uttermost parts of the earth. He's talked over the last couple of months on a few different occasions about short-term missions opportunities. And I would highly, highly encourage you to take one of those trips. It's going to cost. There is a time investment and likely a monetary investment in doing it, but I promise it will change your life as you see how God is at work in other countries, and amongst other people. So we have the opportunity to reach people from all over the world without ever leaving home because the world's smaller than it's ever been. But the other thing, too, is that God is bringing people here. And I don't want to get into a debate about immigration. I think we can disagree on specific policies and what we think needs to happen. But the thing that we must agree on is that all people, regardless of nationality or heritage, deserve to be treated with dignity and love because they're made in the image of God. And I believe maybe for us, for some of us, it's a change in attitude toward that person who lives down the street or your neighbor next door or the person who works in the building where you work who speaks a different language than you do. Maybe it's beginning to treat that person with love and respect that leads them to faith in Jesus so that their life can be changed forever. I believe there's no better time to be alive than the present because of the gospel and because we have a purpose. And I want to show this to you. Paul says that he has been given a purpose. He says in verse 7, I was made a servant of this gospel. A servant. It's also the word could be translated as steward or manager. That purpose that Paul recognized in his own life, he was a steward of the gospel, a manager of the gospel that's been given to us. It is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to steward the gospel. And so we have the opportunity to steward the gospel well, that would lead people to faith in Jesus. Or, potentially, we could steward it not well, which creates barriers for people to coming to Jesus. But that's our purpose, to steward the gospel. And it's my prayer 
and that we would steward the gospel well in such a way that would lead people to faith in Jesus so that their lives could be changed forever. But think about the difference that it would make for us if we wake up tomorrow and not think, I can't believe what's wrong with the world, but we think to ourselves, look at the opportunities that we have because we're called to be different and we can live in such a way that, would, that people would see those differences in our lives and say, help me to understand why you are the way you are because nobody else lives like that. And we can say, it's because of Jesus. That's the transformation that is to take place in our lives. And so then as God uses us, we can reach other people because of Jesus as well. That's why I believe that there's no better time to be alive than the present. Will you pray with me?